0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talkie Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. You're listening to Mike Miller. This is Talkie Money. So glad you're with us, and uh, just a, a quick reminder for those who may be new listeners: this is not a sales program, and most of the products, most of the the, the other financial shows, unfortunately, are are trying to sell something. There are a few that aren't, but they're, they're most of them are, and you just have to just be really careful about the about what they do. And Social Security is a, a big item, uh, not just here, but I've heard other stations where that's what they talk about. Apparently, there's there's some plenty of um, national education programs for salespeople on how to use social security as a, a lost leader to get people in the door to sell them some other kind of product. So just be, be wary about that. And, and we're here, I'm here to be your sounding board. And if I don't know the answer, so you know, I'm not sure about that. Let me check on it. I get back with you. Uh, Cause I want to make sure the answers are in the information that you receive on talking money. Is, is accurate and so we we want your questions you want to send that question to Mike at talkingmoneyradio.com or go to talkingmoneyradio.com and click on ask Mike a question and you get that question to we have uh, a number of inquiries that come in uh, pretty much every week on on uh, through that website and this article that that Mary Beth Franklin wrote in the investment news uh, this is the end of January she wrote this and I saved it for a future uh, future program Talking about how, in general, financial literacy and how people fare, females, male. and this one survey by the American College of Financial Services, it says that in her article, she says women fare worse than men, with 89% of female participants flunking a 38-question quiz compared to 72% of men. And it says the survey tested consumers' knowledge of retirement income concepts and focused on the drawdown phase of retirement. And that's one of those more technical terms, not real technical, but drawdown just means you're taking income from it. That's all that means. Uh, she didn't say it in plain English, but that was the, she's writing this article to financial planners, so I guess that's why she can do that. Uh, so to be fair, parts of the quiz may be challenging to anyone outside of the financial planning profession. And and I would add, just because someone is more astute, uh, more knowledgeable about financial planning and financial areas doesn't mean they're better at money. So I was speaking with Lynn yesterday, one of the radio listeners. She was calling me to actually tell me about a client. She wanted to, a prospect. She wanted to refer to me about becoming a client of, of mine. And we were talking about that. and I was telling her what I was going to be talking about today. And, and Lynn said that she had, I think it was a roommate she'd had that was um, this is out of school and a roommate she had that was a financial whiz. I mean, she had the, I think at least an MBA. So she said that, um, and I forget all the credentials this uh, particular roommate had, but she had all kind of credentials that uh, from a financial standpoint, these are all financial degrees, and she could explain all these very technical financial terms to to Lynn, but she was terrible with her money. She didn't, she was like, I don't even know how to to balance my checkbook. And she was going to rely on Lynn to help her do that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, look, that's not my problem. That's that's your problem. You take care of that. So being more savvy about financial things and understanding these questions doesn't mean you are are better at money. It just doesn't. And sometimes knowing that you don't know, and, and she says this in the article later, she says, it's, it's not all bad news for women, she says. Unlike men who are notoriously reluctant to ask for directions when lost, I don't know where she gets that from. Um, Many women know what they don't know. And the survey found that more women are willing to seek help creating a financial roadmap. In addition, nine out of 10 older women with partners or spouses said they equally share or lead financial decision-making for their households and female retirees and near retirees indicated they are more willing to seek financial advice than men. All right. So that's what I'm referring to. So, uh, I think sometimes the male ego gets in the way and it's like, well, I've, I'm supposed to know these things or I don't want to go to see a financial planner because he's, he's going to tell me how wrong I was with doing this, that or the other. And believe me, you know, there, there is no judgment on our standpoint when somebody comes in. Whatever your situation is, I've seen worse. Uh, I'm sure of it. And, uh, and maybe not. But the, the, the odds are I have. And we don't expect people. Matter of fact, we like it when people have issues and aren't doing things correctly, because that's how we can feel like we're doing the most, given the most benefit and adding the most value to our relationship when when people need our help. So there's no judgments on our standpoint of what you should have done, what you shouldn't have done. We understand you don't know what you don't know. And there's things that we don't know. And as financial advisors, as long as I've done it, I'm still learning things uh, almost every, every week. And so when you have a team like we do in the office with three CPAs and seven, I think, certified financial planners, Seven or eight, I lost track. Uh, We've got a lot of talent, a PhD. We've got a lot of of skills in our office, and we're just the local office of Ronald Blue Trust. We've got offices all over the country and got a couple of emails this week from other advisors having. Uh, questions about situations they're involved in and asking other advisors, have they been in this situation? Do they have some suggestions on how to handle this particular uh, scenario when when presented by a new client that came in? So it's really nice to have that network of other people that, that you can rely on to make sure that the advice that you're giving is correct. So later on in the article, she's, um, she talks about 20% of female respondents said they are highly knowledgeable about social security. And just 10% say they understand annuities. Well, 20% is not very high to be knowledgeable about Social Security. 10% about annuities is even lower. And I'm going to guess that even those 10%, those are the ones who think they understand annuities. They probably still don't understand annuities. There's a lot of professional advisors, a lot of people selling them that don't really understand them. They understand the sales points. They understand how to get somebody to buy one, but they don't understand all the things that go into annuities, I'm afraid. Then she says... Uh, this is a quote by the uh, uh, Timmy Jorgensen, the Director of Financial Literacy at the American College. And understand the American College now is a, a college that teaches financial professionals, primarily insurance agents. The CLU, which I have, and the CHFC and the mashes of Financial Planning and so forth, it's designed to help insurance professionals learn more about their business. And it's great when they'll take that, but, there's, but too many of them are still... Uh, of course, salespeople. But uh, this quote from uh, Timmy Jorgensen says, women are concerned about running out of money in retirement and more than half want their advisors to educate them on strategies to protect against investment risk and how to prudently spend each year to ensure they don't outlive their assets. So, you know, that's that's a very reasonable concern that you want to be concerned about running out of money. But, of course, come from the American College, even in this test. And we're going to go over this survey after the break. But even that survey, there's obviously questions in there that are skewed toward making you think, oh, okay, well, the annuity or the insurance policy is going to be a good way to go because of how they ask the question. So you have to understand where the survey is coming from, who's putting it out. A lot of great questions in here. And and people, like she said at the beginning of this article, 89% of females and 72% of men flunk it, which I assume they made – 60 or 50% or or less correct on that particular survey. So I did the survey myself and got about 95% right. So I, there's still 5% in there that I didn't know. Uh, or I, I I would question their answers because I think there was some, so the way they asked the question was a little confusing and not totally accurate. So I'll, I'll put that blame on why is 95% and not higher. But that, that's still a pretty good score. And I would encourage people out there just to take that test and see what you think. So it's just, I just Googled the 2020 Retirement Income Literacy Survey. 2020 Retirement Income Literacy Survey. And it came up to it on the American College. It gives you the results, and you can take the test and then find out exactly how you did after that. So you can take it even during one of the breaks or or, or, you can... um, You can do two things at one time if you, your guy multitasking is kind of a challenge, but you know, and I understand that, but you can do two things at once. So we get back from the break. I'm going to go through some of the information that uh, was on this survey. I'm not going to go through all 30, what was it? 38 questions. I'm going to hit the highlights of the questions that I think are the most interesting that um, would help also educate you on some different types of financial planning techniques that I think are, are important. So, Anyway, uh, okay, I've got 30 seconds, so that's that's, uh, not enough time to do much else. We'll be back with Talking Money in just a few minutes. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement, and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ron Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ron Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee, Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And you can also get a hold of me at Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, is another way to get a hold of me if you've got an interest in finding out if whether or not. Uh, me and my team can help or someone on my team can help i normally have a a brief conversation with a a new uh, radio listener to find out what the situation is and i'm not trying to be nosy in that and not trying to get more information out of you than you are ready to give not not even committing to being one of our clients but it helps me to know how complicated and what type of situation you're in so that i know which advisor might be the best advisor team for you to work with they they they're all good at generalists but they're if you have a, a particular unique situation it helps to know it's just like if you're working with different attorneys it's if if one attorney has more experience in one particular area, you want to work with that attorney because it probably costs less because they won't have to spend as much time figuring out what your problem is and how, what the solutions might be. So we're going to do the same thing with picking an advisory team. So hey, which team really would be the best? And it may not even be somebody in our office. Uh, we have a professional athlete division. We have a Family offices and some of those that are larger families, we have a division that works just with those and they know the uniqueness of those particular situations. And business consulting division, that we've got several clients in the area in the upstate of South Carolina that use the business consulting division because we brought them in and said, okay, yeah, we need your expertise in this area and we can help with the personal side on the wealth management and on the uh, private wealth advisory side, but we also need your expertise on the business side to make sure it's all coordinated. So having that kind of expertise has really helped. So that's the conversation we'll have first. And I'm not pushy. I'm not, believe me, I'm not trying to get everybody in the door to be a client. I want to make sure that, that we... Uh, ask the right kind of question to see if we are truly a good long-term fit for someone and we do everything from a one-time financial plan to like a financial physical uh anywhere from somebody that has really no assets to somebody that has millions and millions of dollars and we've got the whole gamut taken care of so if you've got a question for me on that that's when you call the ar 800 number 800 588 Seven five two six that I just gave you or send me that email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com and we'll be sure to connect. So just a a few other comments uh, on this article that Mary Beth Franklin uh, wrote and was published in the Investment News uh, magazine, the weekly magazine that we get is about social security that's her expertise is on social security and she was talking about the american college of financial services recent 2020 retirement income literacy survey we covered that the first half of talking money today a few comments she makes at the end of that article she says few retirees appear to be deferring claiming in other words they're they're not delaying when to claim and start their social security is what she means by that in order to receive the maximum annuity income from Social Security, most people simply retire early, earlier, and claim benefits immediately. The authors found that for most middle and upper-income workers, delaying Social Security until it is worth more is more attractive than buying a commercial annuity, particularly because Social Security benefits are indexed for inflation, and very few, if uh, annuities commercial annuities are set up to be indexed for inflation will go up over time. They're fixed, which means you have a risk in that. If you've got a fixed income on that and prices go up, you're not keeping up with it. That's where a good combination of investments is so important. And that's why also trying to figure out how you should take social security is, is generally more complicated than just putting your information in a computer program and having it spit out what you should do. The computer program is not going to know enough about you in total to know what you should do. What are your other assets? What could you be doing? How what's your risk profile? How much you invest? May may you invest that money if you take it early, but don't need it. Would you could you invest it and make more money than the eight percent increase each year that Social Security gives you? There's a lot of different variables in that you need to make sure you take in, uh, into consideration. And toward the end of the article, she says, using 2018 data, probably the most recent data that Social Security Administration has, the authors calculated that 35% of women and 40% of men claim benefits as soon as possible at age 62. 23% of men and 16% of women waited until their full retirement age to claim. And only 5% of men and 7% of women waited until 70 to, to, to collect their maximum benefit. So, those interesting things about uh, on that survey from Social Security that they that they mentioned. So, going through the survey, the uh, I'm just going to hit maybe a dozen of these questions that I thought were interesting. So, question number two was: To maximize the safe withdrawal rate from a portfolio over a 30 year retirement period, it is best to hold blank in equities throughout retirement. Then they give you five options, or I don't know, is an option zero to 10 25 to 35 50 to 60 and 90 to 100 percent. so what is the max what is the the best to hold was what's the ideal and they're going to use some statistics based on the last 30 years of returns of how much you should keep in stocks well i picked 50 to 60 because i think that's a the the maximum way to make 90 to 100 is too high 50 to 60 gives you a good chance of the market going through certain cycles, but you're still keeping 50% of your money in something that's safe. So if the market goes down, you have plenty of money to live off of till the market recoups, which I think is ideal when you're looking at a, a, a well-diversified and effectively diversified portfolio. They said 25 to 35%. So my, I wanted to bring this up, even though that was one of the few that I got wrong that they said I got wrong. I don't think I got wrong, but they said I got wrong is that um, you need to have some equity. So some people get so conservative in their portfolio when they get retirement that they they do avoid the risk of volatility. So they, they don't have as much ups and downs in their portfolio. Although since the first of this year, they would have seen some some downside, not a lot, but some downside in some drawdown, we call it, in bonds because interest rates, as they go up, then the current value of bonds, the current price of those bonds goes down. So you've seen that if you didn't have any stocks to help make up for that and stocks more than made up for that since the first of the year. So it's important to have some equity, some type of growth in your portfolio, even if it's only 25 to 35%. And you just have to to, um, make sure that you don't overreact when that part of it goes down because it's going to go down. I can guarantee it'll go down. I just don't know when, how far, and for how long it'll stay down, but it will go down. So if you have less in there, and don't try to time it, the only timing you need to do is if you have 35% or 50% in there, and, and stocks do so well as they've done the last year or so, and you're now up to, you were 50, now you're 60 or even 65% of your portfolio is in stocks, because stocks have done so well, the, the timing you should do is back off and take 15% of that out and put it back into the fixed income, especially now that fixed income has taken a little bit of a dip down. So it's a good time to, to maybe switch back. That doesn't mean it's going to not keep going down. If interest rates continue to go up, then yes, you're going to have some some drawdown there as well. But anyway, the importance of having some part of your portfolio, I, you know, I would say even if it's only 10%, put something in there that's going to give you some, some um, offset to what inflation might do. All right. Next question to go over. It says a 25% negative single year return in a retirement portfolio would have the biggest impact on long term retirement security if it occurs when. So this is a, a real key question and thing to remember. So when is it the, when is it going to impact your life the most? If you have a 25% drawdown, 25% negative return in your retirement years. So is it 15 years prior to retirement? Is it at retirement, 15 years after retirement begins, or the timing doesn't matter? Where is it important? So at retirement is the right answer. So the the biggest, there's two things, and they don't say this, but at retirement, if your money goes down right then, and if you have too much in stocks, and you don't have other monies that you can rely on to pay your regular bills and maintain your lifestyle, and you have to sell some while it's down, that's the worst time because it's going to give you the longest term negative effect on that. Now, if you're a well-balanced portfolio and you have other funds to draw on, it doesn't make as much difference. I don't, I don't think it makes any difference. The timing doesn't matter because you're not living off of it. But they're talk, when they do this kind of study, they're assuming somebody has started to take out withdrawals from those monies. And so taking that out right after you retire, when it's down 25%, you don't have any way of recouping that 25% downturn because it's it's permanently because you've sold it, you took it to live off of. So it's it's important to do that. So if it's going down at retirement and let's say the first five years of retirement, uh, three years of retirement and spending that money, uh, I think you have to have both. So going down at retirement, is not as big of a deal. I don't think it's any big deal if you don't have to touch it. So make sure you keep it well diversified so you don't have to worry about that. Okay, it's uh, close enough time for the break. The next question we get back that we'll talk about, true or false, the death benefit from a life insurance policy owned by an individual is income tax-free for the beneficiary. True or false? Well, we'll find out when we get back. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with the big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. So we're talking about the survey that was done by the American College. And uh, it was the 2020 Retirement Income Literacy Survey, which you can look up, and I would encourage you to take it to see how well you think you understand different aspects of financial planning, financial services. The question I asked right before the break was, true or false, the death benefit from a life insurance policy owned by an individual is income tax-free for the beneficiary? And that is true. A lot of people don't realize that. That's one of the advantages of life insurance and why some of these people that are selling life insurance on the radio and these financial programs are stressing the tax-free benefits of life insurance. Um, But you just have to be careful because, yes, the total amount of money that will probably be in your state would be higher if you take money out of your retirement funds, pay the taxes, and buy a life insurance policy with it because when you die that money's going to come tax free so your heirs will get more and you won't get more you can't get more all right so because the the uh, the money that you're paying for the life insurance has got to come out somewhere and and I was on a call a few weeks ago this guy was a um, an agent a general agent that was trying to get agents to use some of his techniques he'd written a book about how to sell annuities and he was going through all this I texted in a question because he said there's no fees and the what this is a great deal the client can make all this money and have any fees and I said well, where does the um, where does the money come from where's how does the insurance company make their money if there's no fees and his answer that he answered live was well because insurance companies have figured out a way using options and trading to make more money on your money so that's how they make their money and it's like Okay, I didn't have the heart just to go back in and say, no, that's not the way it works. Insurance companies don't do that. They invest in bonds. Uh, now, they do invest in some things that try to give them a little higher return on some of the money. But for the most part, go look at the American College, not the American College, look at AM Best, And AMBest is the one of the companies, uh, rating companies that, that researches companies. And they tell you what the portfolio is earning that an insurance company manages. What do they make? It may it may uh interest you to see that if you're an agent you may want to find out what is the insurance company really making on that money are they really making enough money that they can pay my client you know these big returns if the stock market goes up which is why they have limitations typically on that or they'll uh, they'll put your money based on an index that they have better control over uh, they're not just going to pay you you know, 80% of the stock market return in in good years uh, and not have some limitations on that. They just can't afford to do that. So anyway, but the the life insurance itself, different than an annuity, an annuity does not come tax-free ever. Uh, Even if you get the step-up in basis, uh, whomever inherits that from you as a beneficiary is going to pay taxes on the gain if it's a non-qualified and of course taxes on all of it if it's inside of an IRA. But there is a benefit from life insurance that the death benefit does come tax-free. And I think a lot of people are woefully underinsured, especially younger people that just have not um, taken the time to go buy life insurance. Even if you go to one of these online services that that can give you quotes from multiple insurance companies on some term life insurance that you need. And you, and, and you can buy a bunch of it. You can buy a million dollars Two million dollars with life insurance, fairly inexpensively, when you're young and assuming you're you're pretty healthy, you can do that. And I encourage you to do that because if something happens to you, it, odds are it's not going to, but it could happen to you, and you want to make sure your family is is well protected. Okay, uh, let's see. The next one I want to go over is uh, if I can find my they talk they talk about how taxes affect retirement, social retirement uh, t- t- security, and so forth, retirement social security. Uh, question 13, which one of the following statements concerning the federal income tax treatment of distributions to a 65-year-old retiree is true? Uh, so the answers are distributions from a traditional IRA are generally taxed as long-term capital gains. Uh, I don't know. Well, okay. And distributions I, I assume that's a wrong answer. If you put, I don't know, that should be a wrong answer. The next one, distributions from a Roth IRA are generally tax-free. And the last option, distributions from a traditional IRA for a 65-year-old are generally subject to an additional 10% penalty tax. And that's that's not true. That's 59 and a half. So this, that was a fairly easy one, I think. But some people don't know that traditional IRA are, are generally not taxed as long-term capital gains. Whenever you take the money out of traditional IRA, not a Roth, it's going to be taxed at whatever your tax bracket is, whatever your marginal tax bracket is, which is your highest bracket, what your taxes are at the next dollar you earn, that's your marginal bracket. And that's what IRAs are going to be taxed at, which is why you have to be so careful trying to convert. And some of these people that talk about, I'm converting my IRA and I'm going to have you buy a whole life insurance policy because of the tax deferral in there. You got to be careful because it could be that that taking that money out is going to put you in a higher tax bracket, and then you then you would have if you just left it alone and took took it out under normal distribution um, consistency over a period of time. You take too much out at once, it's going to put you in a higher uh, tax bracket. Uh, and so distributions from a Roth IRA are are generally they are generally tax free. And that's if you have abided by all the rules. And yes, they're going to be tax free. And then next question, true or false, a retiree who is working part-time can generally continue to cont- contribute to an IRA or a Roth IRA. And that is now true. You can still do that. Uh, one caveat, and and um, we had um, some conversation about this earlier in the year uh, with Alan Cox from uh, our Ronald Blue Trust Tax Department uh, talking about if you're over 70 and a half, you can still make those contributions now to a Roth. But if you're going to make a qualified charitable distribution that you're qualified to do from that same IRA, you can contribute to a Roth or a regular IRA. But if you make distributions as a qualified charitable distribution, you got to be careful. You can't take a full deduction for the IRA and do the qualified charitable distribution. That's a new quirk because you didn't used to be able to to make a deductible contribution to a Roth um or an IRA after age 70. So you can now. Uh, converting a portion, of a, another question, 15. Converting a portion of a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA is a good idea this year if, and really two answers, the value of the assets in your IRA have remained the same for 10 years, or you have a big tax deduction this year and your marginal tax bracket is lower than normal. Well, I pretty much kind of answered that question. So if you're, you have a big, big tax deduction this year, your marginal rate is lower, you just retired, so your income is lower, those are all reasons to say, yes, I that's a good year to do at least a partial, probably not a full conversion, but a partial conversion on that uh, traditional IRA to a Roth. Number 16, suppose that the interest rate on your savings account was 2% per year and inflation was 4% per year. After one year, would you be able to buy more than exactly the same as or less than today with the money in this account? Well, it should be obvious. If, if I'm making 2%, but everything that I buy, now, and this is another, they don't say this in the question, your inflation may not be 4%. Your inflation may be a lot less or it could be even more than that so you need to know what your own inflation based on what you buy because the inflation rate is based on a whole basket of different goods that they will use to track what prices are changing well you may retire and just don't do those things and so it's not going to affect you as much as it might somebody else but assuming your own expenses are went up four percent of course you're going to buy you'll be buying less than you did before so that's where it's important to be careful it's i think having interest of course Interest rate in your savings account at 2%. If you're getting that, uh, let me know because (laughs) it's not very many people to get 2% on a savings account anymore, at least not right now. You're getting 0.002, and that's about all you're getting. Uh, But you're always looking at the amount of interest that you're, earning versus how much it's costing. And another way to look at this, so if I have money in a savings account or a money market account and I just leave it sitting there, I'm not doing anything with it, and maybe it's an extra 50,000, 100,000 and you're you're making less than 1%, but you have a mortgage that's costing you 3%. Well, you're going to save some immediate money by taking in spite of the tax deduction that you get for the that you may get for the interest that you paid on that loan you're still better off paying off that debt. And I think so one of the best things to do in this day and age when we're unsure about what inflation is going to do, we're unsure about a lot of different things that reducing your debt is one of the best financial moves that you can make. Uh, Let's see, number 17 of the following options, the best way to protect against inflation is to have a diversified portfolio of CDs diversified portfolio of traditional bonds or diversified portfolio of stocks. but diversified portfolio of stocks is one of the best ways to protect against inflation and people get scared about stocks and but they also scared about inflation so how do you how do you get around that well that's you just have to buy a portion of it in stocks that understanding it may go down as soon as you buy it, but it's still something to, uh, to consider. Okay, got a couple of the questions here to answer, but we're already pretty much out of time. So I'm so glad that you've listened to Talking Money today. If you've got a question for me, either about whether or not uh, I, we may be a good fit for you to help you with your own financial planning and find out what we can do and what it costs, then you can also send me the call, my 800 number, 800-588-7526. Or feel free to send me if you want to send a question or if you just have a question about our services or another financial question you'd like me to ask in a future program, then you send that to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And, of course, that's the place when you go to that website, just the TalkingMoneyRadio.com website. That's where you can go to click on the Listen And then you can search for whatever topic you are most interested in, or you can do it chronologically and see. We've got years worth of programs on there that hopefully will help you make better financial decisions. Well, thanks for listening to Talking Money. We'll be back next week with another special edition of Talking Money. Have a great weekend.